So Money episode 950, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Chelsea Silvera Burgos. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everybody. Welcome to the show. It is our favorite day of the week, Friday. And I know this because the Ask Farnoosh episodes tend to get more listens than my interviews. So I'm pretty excited about that only because, well, uh, you know, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good knowing that you like to, that you're okay just hearing my voice uh, for 30 minutes. Although today we do have a special co-host and I will be introducing her in just a moment. Moment, but let's catch up first. Let's talk about what's been going on this last week. As some of you, many of you know, uh, last weekend I was at Penn State University as the uh, Grand Marshal for the 100th homecoming event at Pennsylvania State University. I graduated there. My husband graduated there. This was a really special trip for our family. We got to bring the whole brood. We had relatives fly or you know drive in. We had very close friends come in for the game. It was really spectacular to experience football from my purview, which was to be in the parade. I got to bring Evan with me. We got to be at the, uh, basically on the football field as they announced uh, the homecoming court, which included um, me and uh, many of the students who were, you know, awarded a homecoming court. And I tell you, I thought to myself, I totally did college wrong. I went to this university that of course is known for its football. And I was a little resistant to that, to be honest, when I was a student, I thought, well, whatever, like I'm not into football and I I, I don't know, what can I say? I liked being different, but I'm realizing now what I missed out on, which was weekends and weekends of excitement and fun and camaraderie. And I was spoiled going back this time, of course, having the perspective that I did, being able to go on the field and meet football players and be so close to the Penn State Blue Band. It was really, really unique and special. But still, I was like, Farnoosh, you were just, if I could go back in time, I would tell myself to just go to a few more games and and loosen up a little bit. I was pretty uptight in college. Uh, But just want to thank the Penn State community, thank the Homecoming Alumni Association, everybody for bringing me back and the warm reception. We had a fantastic time and then came back to New York and just has have been going 100 miles per hour. On Monday, I attended this incredible event called Women on the Move, which is a leadership conference sponsored by J.P. Morgan Chase for their female employees and clients. And as you know, I'm a financial ambassador for Chase, so I was really excited to be invited to go and hear all these incredible speakers from Abby Wambach, who, as many of us know, you know, she um, is a U.S. soccer superstar. We heard from Gwyneth Paltrow, Dion von Furstenberg was there, Condoleezza Rice. Oh my gosh, I was I was in the third row, and it was jaw dropping in terms of the the caliber of people that were coming on stage to give us advice. Super inspiring. I also lost my cell phone at the Radio City Music Hall. 
all, but not to worry. If anyone goes there and loses their cell phone, they will find it in like five minutes. <laughs> I was uh, like really skeptical of going to Lost and Found when I lost my cell phone and they had it. And it was, I think, I think 15 minutes had passed since I had remembered finding, like having my phone. So thank you to the Radio City Music Hall security for um, allowing me to continue with my life. Cause you know, we all know if we lose our cell phone, it's a, uh, pretty desperate times. What else do I want to tell you? Okay. So I want to tell you about an important correction. So on a couple of episodes recently, I have been talking about income-based repayment and this report that I read that I thought said that only 1% of applicants qualify. Well, I was wrong. I think I read the article or the report too quickly and con- and confused income-based repayment with public service loan forgiveness. A couple of listeners wrote in, kindly telling me the, the 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 difference and I know the difference I think I just conflated the terms when I was reading it and to be honest as I was repeating what I thought was the report I thought to myself that sounds really crazy because if only income based repayment is pretty straightforward you can qualify if you have federal student loans and your income is very low compared to your debt load you you know, punch in a few numbers, calculator will tell you if you qualify or not, and your payments are adjusted to be no more than 10 or 15% of your income. And that's pretty straightforward. And I was shocked that only, well, only 1% of people are qualifying. That's not true. The reality is, is that only 1% of people are qualifying for public service loan forgiveness. That is where the government makes a promise to student loan borrowers who work in public service for 10 years and are making valid loan payments for that time frame, that the Department of Education would forgive the leftover balance on the loan. That's public service loan forgiveness. Now, in income-based repayment, if you are making these payments for 20 years and you still have a balance, in that case also, that remaining balance is forgiven. So there is this idea of forgiveness with both IBR and public service loan forgiveness. And I think that's where my brain's wires crossed. Thank you to the couple of people, and I'm sure more out there who listened to me and they were like, double take, triple take, what, what's that? But I, I like when my honest, my audience keeps me honest and real. So I will be the first to correct myself when I know. Now, it's Friday, and I want to go to now the iTunes review section and pick our winner this week who will receive a free 15-minute money session with me. This is now, I don't know, we're doing these every week until I say we stop. And so far, I'm having a blast. So I don't see a stop in the near future. We're at 982 reviews. Let's get to a 1,000, guys. Uh, And we're going to say thank you to Lauren Coaster, who left a review on October 5th for saying that the podcast is – well, she says that I am like a big sister sharing all the secrets. Um, so I really appreciate that review. She says, Farnoosh is like the big sister I never had, giving me money and career advice in tone that feels empowering and not shaming. I love that she gives focus to women and entrepreneurs. And in her Ask Farnoosh episodes, she answers questions I don't even know I had. <laughs> a great listen wherever you are on your financial journey. Lauren, thanks so much. Um, this was funny slash touching. And I, I really appreciate this review. Get in touch. You can email me, farnoosh at farnoosh.tv or connect with me on Instagram, direct message me there. Let me know that you're the Lauren who left the review and we will get set up a time to, to chat. All right. Now, 
I want to talk about who is co-hosting with me today. And for everybody who is listening and thinking, I'd love to connect with Farnoosh. I don't know if I have a money question for her, but I really love finance and I really love to, you know, talk about people's other people's questions. Send me a note. Let me know you'd like to co-host just like our guest today did. Her name is Chelsea Silvera Burgos and she is a personal finance enthusiast. She's pursuing financial independence with her husband and three-year-old daughter. She lives in Central California. She and her husband own their home. They save for retirement in college and they're working towards becoming debt-free. Chelsea has her master's in education and works with young children with developmental delays, and she's an avid podcast listener. This is also um, some some fun facts about Chelsea. She's an essential oil devotee <laughs> and the friend you definitely want at the party. Chelsea, welcome to So Money. Hi. So excited to be here. Essential oils, huh? How'd you get on that road? I always mocked my mom for being really like crunchy granola hippie. And then as I get older, I'm turning into her. (laughs) So I think it's just genetics got me into essential oils and it's kind of sad, but I love them. So what are you going to say? Hey, if if you were on the show and I asked you, what's your guilty pleasure? What's the splurge that you are, you know, unapologetically spend on? I think, uh, I think we have our answer. Yes, exactly. Well, is it also in your DNA, you think, to be financially Yes. Conscientious. My dad is, it's so funny. He always said growing up, he's like, let's go to Mario's money management school for a minute. And we would talk about finances. So I'm a hippie and financial enthusiast by blood. Yes. What's your greatest memory of money growing up as a kid? What was like the one lesson that really stuck? Um, I think how he explained compound interest, like I think it stuck, but it didn't come back to me until my late twenties. But I was like, Oh, that's how retirement savings work. I remember talking about this and he was CalPERS and I was CalPERS for a while. He retired through the state, you know, CalPERS, California retirement pension. And once I got onto the CalPERS calculator, I was like, Oh, this is what my dad was talking about. This is cool. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. See that, that, that's, that kind of was my experience too. My father, I remember in, in my teens would talk about like, workplace benefits and mm-hmm. retirement and 401k. And I just kind of, you know, parked that somewhere in the back of my head, forgot about it. But then when I got the job and they mentioned it, I wasn't a deer in headlights, you know, right. I kind of felt like I, I right. had some background on this, of course, still needed to learn a lot more, but just a PSA to parents, you know, your kids will they'll shelf a lot of this knowledge, but at least then they have the reference points and they won't feel kind of, they'll have a little bit of confidence, I think, as they step into some of these bigger financial moves as they get older. Definitely. Totally agree. Now, when you became a mom, a parent, how did you and your husband navigate that transition? A lot of people ask me on the show and in real life, you know, I'm thinking about having a kid or I'm pregnant now and I'm just really concerned about having my financial ducks in a row. How did you guys navigate that or are continuing to navigate it? We made sure that we had enough cash saved up to for me to take the maternity leave that I wanted to. I had really great benefits and maternity leave available, but we needed to, towards the end of it, I took about five months towards that last month and a half. We needed to have cash saved up. So we did that. And then in the long term, 
Um, when I went back to school, the goal was to get to a spot where I could work part-time if I wanted to in the future, like when she's a little bit older, um, if I want to be home during the, you know, the afternoons or something to have an income that would be sufficient, even if I was part-time. So the field I went into applied behavior analysis has a lot of opportunities like that. Plus it's my passion. So that was kind of lucky. So I, um, we're kind of long-term planners. We save for her college. We didn't do anything. I'm not sure if you can be financially prepared because especially first parents, you think you need the diaper warmer or the, you know, the wipes warmer and, you know, four Moby baby carriers in case they throw up on one of them. And then when we got into it, I was like, okay, we've got a lot of gear that we don't need, but it's good to have it because it helped the anxieties. But I don't know. I think that's trial and error. What do I need? And then you have a garage full of stuff you didn't use. Yeah. I want to jump to a question that kind of dovetails what you've been talking about, which is, you know, long-term planning and how to sort of get yourself through and thrive during these life transitions. Um, And we have a guest or rather a listener who wrote in a question about a lot of things going on in her life. Mm -hmm. And they do want to have a child and start family planning, but that's only some right now adding to a lot of the stress. So this is a from an anonymous uh, question asker. And she says, Hey, Farnish, I love your podcast. I've got a question related to a few life changes recently, and I'm struggling to figure out my financial priorities. So here's the situation, Chelsea. She bought a house in February and she's turning the basement into an accessory dwelling unit so she can rent it out and earn some extra money. I like the sound of that. She's also getting married in a month. Uh, she and her spouse or she and her partner are both in their early 30s and they don't want to wait more than a couple years to have kids. Now, back to that basement renovation. She says it's costing more than they thought. They've spent all the money that they've allotted for it. They probably need to spend another $8,000 to finish it, but that's going to mean draining their emergency account. P.S. Her fiance is in graduate school with tuition expenses of only of about $8,000 a year. And because her fiance is in grad school, he isn't earning a lot of money right now. He brings in $30,000 a year. She earns like more than double that. She earns $76,000 a year plus an additional $25,000 a year from her side business. So about hundred grand. And they both contribute about 13% of their income to 401ks. They don't have Roth IRAs. She says, I know we should. But uh, fortunately, no debt from um, the student loans. They just have this mortgage, which is about $260,000. Goes on a little bit more. And I, I promise to get to the question. She says her fiance should be able to earn a lot more after he graduates in two years. But in the meantime, this is the question. What do we do? It feels like everything is urgent. She's got grad school for her fiance, the basement renovation, retirement savings, kids. She's working crazy hours with two jobs. And then, of course, her fiance is working full time and going to school. Um, She says, we're so tired. It doesn't seem like there's enough money for all of our goals. So not sure what can go and what should stay. Any advice? Now, Okay, let's take a, a breath. I think that I want to first sa- say to this woman that you guys are doing great. Like, mm-hmm. I think that you're on the right track. And yes, there are a lot of competing forces here. There's a lot of push pull, 
But from where I sit, and I'd love to get your perspective as well, Chelsea, but like from where I sit, just just knowing what I know from your details here, you have both combined incomes of about $130,000. That's before taxes, but still $130,000. That's a great place to be in. Over six figures. You've just started your life together. You haven't even gotten married yet. There's no debt except for this mortgage. Um, You're contributing a really really fantastic amount to your 401ks. 13% is if that's each of you, I think that's really solid. That's, you know, the more than the recommended 10%. So I think you're doing great in that department. Don't worry so much about the Roth IRAs. I that's you're in a good retirement place. I think if there was extra to go around, yeah, we could talk about a Roth IRA. They're just kind of in a messy middle right now. And I think that there is this desire often to have it all, but you can't have it all at the same time. So I think that if there is sort of a hierarchy here for you to focus on, it would be to continue earning, continue saving for retirement, continue paying down grad school, and then save for the future, which it would not mean investing it, would mean actually starting a rainy day account. You said you have emergency savings, but how... How robust is that? Because if you are thinking about family planning, you know, you'd mentioned this, Chelsea, like you got to plan it, but you've mm-hmm. also got to plan for the finances. And so I think you might want to sit down at some point and just sketch out what life might look like for the two of you in terms of your careers, your time commitments, your 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 family planning and and what can you actually afford um and, and what realistically how much time off can you take if you want to take time off so that would be a good exercise in a conversation and you might realize that this is where you want to put extra money i wouldn't worry about renovating the basement with all the bells and whistles uh, at this point, it will be nice to have that extra income, but I think it's not a priority given all these other things on your plate. What do you think, Chelsea? That's exactly the hierarchy I had in my mind too. So I think her piggybacking on all of that, kids require a ton of time and energy and sleepless nights are going to have a really hard time with her working 60 to 70 hours. I think it's perfectly in line if they want to have kids in a couple years and her fiance is done with school in a couple years and is going to earn more. I think that's beautiful. Um, I, yeah, basement. Not all the bells and whistles are necessary, especially since they already make good income. They can, they don't necessarily need the extra money right now to survive. So that could go on a back burner. And then um, the kids will come exactly where the timeline looks like he's going to finish school in two years. They want kids in the next couple of years. And then when he earns more, potentially she could cut back at one of her jobs as far as how many hours she's working. So I think they probably feel very overwhelmed, but it looks really good from the outside. Yeah. I mean, when you're in it, it's a whole different scene, but I will say now is the time to work your tail off before the kids come, you know, work as many hours as your body will allow, bring in all the money you can, because there will be a period where you will have a much bigger priority and you're, you know, the, the sleep deprivation is a real thing when yes. you have children that first year. And you may realize that 
you will would benefit from having someone come in and help you out. Sometimes you need all hands on deck and mm-hmm. two people is sufficient, but sometimes having a third person, if you don't have a family member, it, I mean, we hired a night nurse for a few weeks because my daughter wasn't sleeping mm-hmm. at all at night. And I was technically still at work, back going back to work. So right. you do that. I was thinking about her side business potentially as she gets more established and streamlining that in preparation for maybe working less with kids. She maybe take advantage of some of the virtual assistant services to streamline some of it. I don't know what the side business is. I don't have that info, but she might be able to not spend as many hours at her side business for a reasonable payoff to pay someone to do some of the time consuming, but rote stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, I would not survive without outsourced Mm -hmm. support. Um, So I wish you guys a lot of luck. It sounds like you got, you know, you have a vision, you have goals, you're planning. And I think eventually when you get married as parting advice, I would recommend that you do sit down with a financial planner, even if it's just for one or two meetings initially, just to kind of make sure that you guys have a plan that you're both aligned that you have you have you're automating everything that you should be automating that if kids are going to be coming into the picture soon that you're working towards also those kinds of savings and it's it can't hurt to have a third party i think when you get married and you're obviously in the honeymoon phase you don't really want to talk about money but you know you have to getting someone else that's a professional who can level the playing field and be someone as can be like a sounding board for the two of you might be really really helpful in those early years absolutely okay we have a question from a very ambitious 19 year old derek <laughs> derek is in college and get this he has saved Now, this question rings familiar to me. I think I might have answered this way long ago, but it popped up in my feed again. Derek said I never answered his question, so I am taking the benefit of the doubt and answering his question. But I feel uh, maybe I just have a lot of 19-year-olds who've saved $20,000 that have been telling me this on Instagram. I don't know, but maybe I dreamt it. Maybe I manifested this. I don't know. But if anyone's listening and they're like, oh, this question again, let me know because then I don't know I'm not crazy. But um, let's, let's tackle this together. So he's got $20,000 and he's wanting to know what should he do with this money? He's thinking he should invest it, but he's anxious with all the talk of the impending recession. So he's wondering, should he wait until after the recession to start investing? Should he you know, put it in something safer than the stock market? His financial goal, his primary financial goal is to buy a house in the next six to eight years. And have money for a down payment. So um, that's uh, his question for us. Now, look, do you remember what your goals were when you were 19, Chelsea? Oh my gosh. I wanted to go to Santa Cruz as much as possible, like just to relax on the beach. I did not have $20,000. I had like <laughs> negative $200. I had, I had 12 cents. Yeah. And I had big dreams, but I did not have cash to back it up. I'm so proud of him. And he's cash flowing college too. Like the cash flowing college is just fantastic. And he says, P.S., he doesn't get any financial support from his parents. 
He's a yeah. sophomore in college. He's paying off school as he goes. He says he's taking the cheaper route, which is local junior college, then to a local state school so that he doesn't have any debt. That's brilliant, Derek. Just fantastic. He's setting himself up for such a great future. Just amazing. Here's what I would say to Derek. $20,000, you know, if if he if he plans on not earning any more money, and he's got two more years left in college, if this is all the money he anticipates having upon graduation, I wouldn't invest all of this. I would right. want to be sure that he's graduating with a little bit of startup cash. You're starting your life. You're going to need a lease probably to rent an apartment. You're going to move somewhere. You're going to get get some clothes for the new job. And so I would want to make sure that he's got at least five to 10,000 parked in a liquid account for that purpose. Um, so that he, let's say he gets a great job opportunity, but it requires moving across the country mm-hmm. or you know what? He decides he wants to take three months off and travel because he's been so diligent with school that he hasn't really like, quote unquote, explored enough. And I think that's really smart sometimes to take a little bit of a gap a few months, a year before you jump into working for the rest of your life. But I think having liquid cash when you graduate is really important. Now, I say this thinking maybe this is all the money you're going to have when you graduate. If you're going to have, let's say, another $20,000 when you graduate, let's say $40,000, then I'd say, okay, well, with this $20,000 that we have now, let us let us think about investing it. But, but rule of thumb here maybe is like whatever money you're going to have, 50% invested, 50% have it liquid. With the 50% that you're going to invest starting maybe maybe today, I wouldn't put it all in the market right now. Do this thing called dollar cost averaging, which is that you take, let's say, 10% of that or $500 a month and you invest it every month in an index fund, in a basket of ETFs, which by the way, you can start these portfolios on a number of different platforms out there. Robinhood, Wealthfront, Charles Schwab, Elevest. There's there's a ton of options for you out there to do this digitally and really simply. The nice thing about dollar cost averaging is, well, two things. One, it allows you to gradually get into the market without sort of betting all of it at once. And the residual benefit of that is that if the market does tank, even though over the long run, historically speaking, you will make up for that loss and then some. But in that moment, you're stomach won't be in your throat. Um, You know, some people cannot take it to see their portfolio drop by 10%, 20% in a day. So if that's you, if you're risk averse, then I would say do it gradually by putting in like $500 a month or $1,000 a month on a schedule so that you have all of that money invested over the next year or two. Um, but the reality is, is that studies show it doesn't really matter in terms of whether you dollar cost average it or lump sum invest over the long run, the returns are pretty much the same. Um, it's just more a matter of like, 
how would you feel if the market plummeted? And if you're really, really depressed by that, then you might not want to put all your money in right now. And it also gives the opportunity to sort of course correct along the way. So if you do, if we do have like a six month period where stocks are falling, that actually wouldn't be a time to pull back. That would be a time I would recommend to get in even more. So you might want to dial up your investing over those down months to get in cheap. That makes sense. Your question was about what to do. So I think I've answered that. Where do you put this money? I think you get it in a low fee index fund or ETF. You can open up at any of those portals that I mentioned um, and continue earning. You're sounds like you're really good at making money, Derek. Keep doing that. I think that you'll be f- way far further ahead than your peers when you graduate. I, I mean, I know it. I know it because you're not going to have student loan debt. <laughs> Yeah, Chelsea, you mentioned you have you your you and your spouse are working on paying down debt. Is that student loans? Yeah, the majority is student loans. We only have our car and one medical bill of consumer debt, technically, and then we've got forty thousand dollars of my student loans. So I'm just so excited for him. Yeah, Derek, <laughs> he's doing great. I hope this was helpful. All right, I want to help out Christopher now because he is such a sweetheart. He says that his wife recently decided she wants to start a blog focusing on being a fiscally responsible mom. Their anniversary is coming up and he wants to get her something to get her started with that. Any suggestions? I love this question. It's so thoughtful. It's so sweet. Yeah. Way to go to your wife for wanting to document um, her advice and helping other moms along the way. I mean, I, I think that if I were to think of what I would have needed back all those years ago when I was starting my first digital content series, I would say that it would be really nice, Christopher, to get your wife a photo session where I assume she's going to be starting a website and it will need to have her photo. And as she's writing, um, people – and she's inserting herself in a lot of these posts to have a stock folder of photographs of her kind of doing sort of her day-to-day stuff that she can use to reference some of the content. So, you know, with the kids, you know, um, working at her desk, um, going out for coffee, you know, getting a photographer to come to the house and kind of storyboard her day out and take snapshots of her day throughout so that she ends with, say, you know, a hundred or, you know, maybe that's a lot, like 50 really different and colorful, vibrant photographs that she can use to populate the website over time. I would go, I would make sure that one of those photos is a really great kind of headshot or glam shot in on the move shot where she can use on the homepage to really capture her essence, a photo of the family with her and you and her and the kids. And, you know, you know, you get the picture, right? So I think this is stuff that these are assets that she will definitely benefit from on the website. So getting her hair and makeup done, a photographer really, you know, do it up for her. I think that would be really, really special. And these, of course, are photos that you'll have forever. And then I would also think about getting her maybe a gift card to an outsourcing website, like an Upwork or a Fiverr, because along the way, maybe she'll want graphics made. Maybe she'll need some technical support. She'll want some copywriting done. She'll want, you know, I don't know, image photoshopping. And so with a gift card to these sites, 
um, that will give her a little bit of a budget to you know hit the ground running to to get some of this fun stuff out of the way and, and make of course her life easier so that she can concentrate on the writing part and she can have this sort of satellite team that's doing all the ancillary work. I love this question and I wish more husbands would ask me how to make their wives happier. I think I would have a lot of suggestions. <laughs> um, what do you think though, Chelsea? You think is there anything else? I, the only thing I thought, I have a friend who is doing a planning blog, a planner blog. She likes a certain planner and she likes to do that Instagram um, account for her planning and the lighting equipment for doing photos of her planner has been challenging. So I don't know what kind of, what the wife wants to blog about, but if she's going to be making videos or some things are taking stills than maybe having like a lighting set up for her desk. That's a great idea. Yeah. If she plans to do and video is very, um, it's a very successful strategy for people who mm-hmm. want to blog, having dynamic content. So it's not just content print, but maybe there's some supplementary video. And of course, um, anything visual goes a very long way. So yeah, having just a beauty lamp, a beauty light, you can get right. those like circular, all the fashion bloggers and vloggers use them. And um, <laughs> yes. I, I'm going down that rabbit hole myself right now because I'm looking to get myself equipped for YouTube. Yeah. Going next week to B&H, which is this like superstore in New York of electronics. And everyone there who works, everyone who works there is really knowledgeable, but I just want to go <laughs> with some information. <laughs> yeah. Cause I don't, it's like going into a car lot without any idea of what you want to buy. Like you need to go in there with a sheet of like bulleted items. And so I'm, I'm currently doing a lot of research on, you know, what do I actually need? Right. Last question here is from Becca. She has been listening to every episode for the last six months. Wow. That's awesome. She's 26 years old. And she is hoping to finish her PhD in biomedical science later this year. Rock on. Currently looking for positions and have been talking to a company recently about a job that I think I would really enjoy, she says. Um, She says they recently disclosed the salary for the position and it was a lot lower than what I was expecting. The retirement benefits, however, are really great. They contribute 9% of your salary to a retirement account regardless of her contribution. But here's the question. She says, Farnoosh, I'm worried about starting at a lower salary and how that's going to impact my earnings for the rest of my career uh, because I... I'm worried about what future employers are going to believe that I'm worth. She's not sure if other similar positions will offer more because this is the first position that she has uh, been given um, and and that has been given a salary estimate. So what is my advice and what is my advice specifically for people looking for their first job and the importance of salary versus other benefits? So I have a lot of thoughts on this. Can you imagine? (laughs) Um, Me too. (laughs) Okay. So- Let's talk about this, Chelsea, because I, I just want to first, though, mention the the first thing she stated as a concern was like, okay, let's say I take this job; it's not the salary that I want. I think it's lowballing me, and that's going to kind of have a domino effect when I go for this next job somewhere else, and they're going to see what I made and lowball me again. Well, here's the thing: I don't know what state she lives in, but there is a growing movement to legalize a ban 
banning employers from asking job seekers to reveal their salary history. So mm-hmm. I know this is true in New York. I know it's true in Michigan, in Wisconsin. There's about 15 states, a lot of localities that have some sort of law against um, asking in prospective employees about their salary history. So you do know that there's a good chance that you're protected. And so I would just go online and see if your state is one of those states. And if it's not yet, I'm sure it will be soon. So just want to announce that for everybody listening. And I'm re- so glad that this is a movement that's happening because it's it's right. It shouldn't You shouldn't be lowballed based on what your previous employer paid you. Mm-hmm. Because there's all sorts of things, you know. There's pay discrimination, and we don't want to perpetuate those like system systemic problems. Okay, so that's the first thing. The next thing is this is just the beginning of a negotiation. They, you know, I don't know what kind of employer this is. It doesn't sound like this is a federal employer where a lot of times the salary is the salary, and until you get promoted, you don't go into the next salary bracket. But it sounds like this is. Maybe just uh, the beginning of a negotiation. And it, I think if I do have advice for anybody on the first job search is that you got to be ready, armed with knowing your worth. It sounds like Becca has a feeling at least that she's worth more, but can you back it up with actual data? Can you go out and see what other employers are offering starting employees with this position? If you find out that it's more elsewhere, um, that's information to go back to this employer with and say, actually, I was uh, thinking that we could start me out at this salary because that is actually where I've done my research. I find that these other companies in your category are giving first-time employees. So I, it sounds like you might want to do a little bit more research. Go on sites like Glassdoor.com. Gosh, who else? Payscale. Comparably, indeed, indeed, comparably, look at and and you can and you can talk to maybe your classmates who are also getting job offers and and be very candid with one another. I think that that's part of the problem is we don't talk about salaries with one another. It's very taboo. But if you can, you know, get navigate that. Talk to your professors. They a lot of them have um, a foot in indus in the industry or know have connections. They might be able to get some research for you. I do think that benefits go a very long way. I think you have to really assess the totality of the offer. So maybe the salary is not great, but 9% of your salary to a retirement account, I mean, that's basically assume that you're making 9% more, right? Like if, if they're offering you $100,000, well, actually you're getting $109,000, but 9% but 9, of that is going into the 401k. That's $9,000 that you don't have to invest on your own. What do you think, Chelsea? I think that's absolutely correct. And I like that she said that she thinks she would really enjoy this position because negotiating your salary is just part of getting a job. And especially with her level of education, um, you want the work that you do to be something that you enjoy, not to be something that is closer to what you thought you would get paid for your first job. So negotiate as much as possible, but your first job out of school should offer you valuable experience as well as money because you take that into every negotiation subsequently after that. So enjoying the work is beautiful. And then look up, yeah, do your research. I once, um, 
talk to a headhunter in my field just to compare salaries in this area because it's really difficult. People don't want to talk about their money, which is something I talk about all the time because I want to make sure that my peers know that salaries can be negotiated and that we're empowered, especially women. Um, but I just think that if this is something she's going to enjoy and she's going to learn a lot from and she can negotiate more, do that. Absolutely. Yeah. And thank you for bringing that up about making sure that that first job is going to be a great foundation for you as you climb up in your career, that you're also not just talking about money and benefits, but what is what are my responsibilities? What kind of autonomy can I have here to take leadership with some of the initiatives and projects and that I have in mind? And who will be mentoring me? And talk to people who've been there for a few years and ask them about their experience. Not that people have been there for 20 years, but people are like, you know, a couple years in. Like, okay, so how, do you, are you happier here? Or like anything mm-hmm. you would advise me to do? I'll end with this quote from Condoleezza Rice, who spoke at the conference I was talking about at the very beginning, the Women on the Move event uh, that I attended and where I lost my cell phone. But she <laughs> she was the last speaker that I heard speak. And she teaches at Stanford. And she said that a lot of these students, men and women, come to her and they say, you know, I just want to find a really meaningful job when I graduate, which is really admirable. But she said, she, she joked and she was like, your first job out of college isn't going to be quote unquote meaningful in all the ways that you know you you want it to be like it's it's not going to basically check off all the boxes what's meaningful about it is that someone is willing to pay you for the first time at doing anything <laughs> and mm-hmm. that of course everybody laughed in the audience but it's true i mean i think back to myself i wanted my first job to be a dream job and And I think if you go in with that expectation, you're going to be disappointed. That's not to say that your first job can't be great and can't be pivotal and can't be a learning experience, but it's not going to be the end all. You have a very long career ahead of you. So as long as it's checking off a few of the boxes, and to your point, um, Chelsea, it is giving you the opportunity to learn and grow, I think that is invaluable. And that is really what you need at this point in your career. But don't hesitate to negotiate either. All right, Chelsea, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a lot of fun and I I, I really much prefer co-hosting. Um, yes. <laughs> so anyone out there who wants to connect, I again, encourage you to reach out and I really wish you and your family the best. Chelsea, thanks for listening. Let's keep in thank touch. Thank you for, yes, thank you for such amazing content. I love everything you do. So relatable and accessible and actionable like right now. Thank you. And everybody listening, I hope your weekend is so money. Money.